been a joy this week to work with Brandon and Madison on picking songs and being in the Word in Psalm 96 together and just marveling at how mighty our King is. That's the theme of today, is God's rule over all of creation. So I pray that we would see that, that it's just not for Israel, but for us here in Rochester as well. Let's go to him in prayer before we begin. O King Jesus, ruler of heaven and earth, commander of spiritual armies, mighty Lord of our souls, we cry out to you, seeing how holy you are and how unworthy we are to be in your presence, but yet here we are, your spirit with us in a beautiful way, and we want to see your glory. We want your glory to shine on our faces. We want to radiate your majesty so that when we go from this place, this dark world will know that we have been with Jesus. We will bring hope into their lives. We will show them that there is something beyond this world, a resurrection by the resurrection of Christ. We are people of a new covenant, of a new creation. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see that and open our hearts to run with all eagerness to Him, our King. It's in His name we pray these things. Amen. Over the last couple of months, the Chinese government has shut down Dozens of churches in China, not because of the coronavirus, but because they see these churches as a threat to their authority. The government's been going throughout all these different regions and finding churches and, and tearing down their crosses, demolishing their buildings, or threatening them that unless you sing in your worship services the Chinese national anthem and pledge allegiance to the president, that we are going to demolish your building as well. And as I've heard these reports throughout the, my lifetime anyway, I've always wondered, why do they go after churches? What's the big deal? What are they afraid of? The church isn't starting some political revolution. They're just singing songs to Jesus and trying to learn how to go to heaven. That's it. They're no threat to the government. But then I started reading Psalm 96 this week. And something happened over the last week that made me realize how much I misunderstood what is going on, not only in China, but here as well. So recently, our city passed an ordinance that required masks to be worn in public places with certain guidelines and exceptions. And when churches asked, well, how do, where do we fit in this? How do you see us? The city released a document that explains churches are, fall under the category of entertainment venues. And it broke my heart. They didn't think to consider that we're under the other jurisdictions that we don't, aren't able to speak into, that we just ask for cooperation. The Chinese government seems to know that churches gathering in the name of King Jesus are a threat to their authority. But here in America, our governments just see us as concert halls with kind of some cheap entertaining music that can easily be dismissed for the greater good of society. So, who's right? What are we? 
be patient here. I'm, I'm not arguing whether it's right or wrong to wear masks in various places. That's a topic for another discussion. We can try to cooperate in various ways for the good of our neighbors, but there is something important for us to see here in Psalm 96 that we realize something deep is going on in our world. And we need to remember who we are as Christians in this society. What answer do we have for a world that's full of fear and and despair, turmoil, and crisis? Psalm 96 is a declaration that God reigns over all the earth from His temple. God reigns over all the earth, far and wide, even down to the smallest detail from His temple. We talk a lot about how Jesus is the King and how God is sovereign over every action. But the Bible says even more than that. It tells us where His throne room is. And it tells us how His authority is exercised in the world. Psalm 96 points us to the great responsibility we have to represent His reign as His kingdom citizens. This psalm will emphasize that in two parts. In verses 1 to 6, we find out that we are called to be heralds among the nations, singing and declaring His salvation everywhere we go. And the psalm transitions in verses 7 to 13 to the place where God exercises His authority, where we are witnesses in His courts, where we are equipped to go out and be that kind of herald in the world. These ideas feed off each other. We come in, we see His glory, we go out, we share it. We come back in and we see His glory shine on our faces and we go back out and radiate His glory into the world. In times of crisis and confusion, it's natural for people around us to ask, where is God in all of this? What's He doing? And we want to confidently respond He is in control of everything. He is sitting on His throne. And I am certain of that because I was in His temple just this week and I saw Him reigning in all of His glory. Our world needs that hope right now, brothers and sisters. And we get to be the instruments of that hope by gathering to sing and ascribe to Him the glory due His name. And as we lift Him high, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that when we do, we with unveiled faces behold His glory and are transformed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another. And we come out of this, down from this mountain, like Moses, with our faces shining with His glory, and we go into the world, our eyes aglow with hope, our smiles singing His salvation, and we show everybody, that we are confident God is working even these things for our good. We proclaim with confidence that God is redeeming humanity through the death and resurrection of our King, Jesus. All of that is right here in Psalm 96. So let's take a look again at verses 1 to 6 where God calls us to be heralds among the nations. The psalmist writes, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. What's the song say? Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Before diving into the details of this text, it would be helpful to spend a little time understanding what inspired these lyrics. If you follow the cross-references in your Bible, those little notes that are on the side with numbers, you might find that this leads you to 1 Chronicles 16. And there in 1 Chronicles 16, you see this same song almost word for word, the entire thing. Asaph, it says, wrote this song to lead a procession of Israelites back to the temple praising God. But what were the circumstances that led to this song? Well, many generations before, we kind of got to go way back in Israel's history, God saved Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, displaying His power over the bugs and the frogs and the rivers and over sickness and over the sun, even life and death. He did this in order to start a new kingdom. So that He would exalt them, not because they were sinless, but He would save them first and then use them to save everybody else. But not everything went as smoothly as they imagined. Israel rebelled. They complained. They refused to take a step forward because they were afraid they were going to get sick or they were going to starve or they would be killed by giants. Finally, through the leadership of a few brave people, who refused to listen to the voice of the crowds, they arrived at the promised land, finally the place where God was going to set up His throne and begin His worldwide restoration work. All Israel needed to do was go in, conquer the land, set up the temple on the mountain, and do this work. But you read through Joshua and Judges and realize that they did not do that. Instead, they became like the neighboring nations. They compromised. They worshiped the false gods along with them. Back and forth goes the story. God rescuing Israel and then Israel falling right back into compromise and fear. The struggle with the nations exemplified is exemplified in the constant battle with that pesky nation called Philistia. You know, the, the ones with the Goliath, the giant Goliath. For many years, those Philistines were just a thorn in Israel's side. And then finally, after one battle, all hope seemed lost. When King Saul rushed into battle with the Ark of the Covenant right in front of him, and he lost. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't just a a pretty gold box. It was the throne of God. It was carrying the king on the throne wherever you went. It was had the Ten Commandments right inside the box and angels crafted on the top. It was the place where God sits and judges the nations. But Saul thought he could use it as a good luck charm. Oh, we're all right. As long as we got this lucky Ark of the Covenant, we're going to win all of our battles. And instead they lost. And the Philistines took the ark home as spoils of the war. God was not going to be used as a tool in someone else's political game. A warning to us. That we need to be careful to do it God's way. We don't just march into danger going, well, God's going to protect me. I don't, I don't need to worry. 
We need to do it his way. Because he will not be mocked. Neither by foolish Israel treating him as a tool or the Philistines thinking he has no power at all. From this point forward, God shows that he is going to fight his own battle. So the Philistines put the ark in their temple next to their god Dagon. And they go back in the next day to go do their ritual worship. And there's Dagon laying on the, on the floor in front of the ark, face down. Well, how did this happen? So they put him back up. And the next day they come in and there he's laying on the floor in front of the ark again. What? What's going on over and over until one day Dagon's statue is broken to pieces along with the nation of Philistia. They finally said, get this thing out of here. We are done with it. So they send it to another Philistine city. And as soon as it arrives, everyone gets sick. Oh my goodness, what's going on? It's that ark. Send it to a different city. We don't want it. The closer it gets, the more of us get sick. They finally got to the place where they said, just get the thing out of here. Send it back to Israel. Sinners cannot be in the presence of a holy God without grave consequences. If God is going to be claimed in a land, they better honor Him as holy, as the mighty King, or there will be trouble in that nation. Finally, the Philistines just say, okay, put it on a cart, have a cow pull it out, because none of us are going near it, and to symbolize their desire to have their sicknesses taken away, they, they make these little golden tumors and pile those on the cart and say, go, take it all away from us. Finally, the cart ends up in an Israelite city called kiriath Jerim, where it would be kept safely until God's chosen king would lead the people to place him on a throne high above all nations and worship him as the God of all the earth. So finally, we're back in First Chronicles. David is anointed king in the chapters just before this song. He's taken this place on the throne, and he is a man after God's heart. He doesn't want the glory. He wants God to have the glory. He delights in the law of the Lord. He wanted to lead people to worship on his holy mountain, in the temple, with the sacrificial system, just as God had commanded David established the capital city on the highest mountain in Jerusalem, setting up the tabernacle on the top and wanting to bring in the Ark of the Covenant, saying to all the nations watching, God reigns from right here. Everything He can see from this place is under His command. So just before this psalm, David now, he, he, wants, he gets the tabernacle set up. And he tells the Levites, go to Kiriath Dream, get that ark, bring it up here. And Asaph, tell your boys to whip up a new song because it's time for us to party. God is finally doing what he promised to do generations ago. God is making Israel a blessed nation in order to bless all the nations. This deserves a victory march. Asaph, strike up the band, let's get singing. So here we are. Psalm 96, this is the song that they are to march the Ark of the Covenant back to God's throne room. The first three lines of the song command singing, because we are heralds, servants. Heralds are servants of the king who go out into the land and proclaim all of his decrees. This is what God says. And those who have been rescued and blessed by God, we must sing. It's the proper response 
Singing to God as God's people is commanded. It is how we display our allegiance to Him that we gather together and sing. And that's where He creates in you a new heart that wants to sing to Him more along with His people. And so we sing a new song in verse 1. David recognizes and Asaph recognizes this is a new phase of history. This is incredible. God has saved us and created a new nation and brought us a new king and give us a new focus. We better celebrate with a new song. And what is this song about? It's not about them. There's nothing praiseworthy about Israel. It is about God. It's about His glory, His mighty work, His victory over the enemies, His salvation. Verse 3 explains the purpose of singing is to proclaim truth, declare the reality of who God is and what He's doing in the world. Singing isn't about us, to encourage us, to build us up. Singing is an act of a saved soul that has to proclaim beautifully the majesty of this incredible King. Verses 4-6 to explain why. The word for means the reason. We ought to sing because God deserves the praise. He should be feared above all other gods, all other kings. Everything else is worthless compared to Him. We, we tend to give our allegiance to so many other things. We put our confidence in all kinds of other leaders. But this song, Asaph is saying, listening to the voice of any other wise man, any public expert, any religious leader, any skilled craftsman is foolishness, is worthless compared to God's wisdom and might. God made it all. He knows how all of this works. He knows how viruses spread. He knows about racism. He's not, he's not unsurprised by our modern issues. And he has the power to save us from it all. If you want to be part of that salvation, you must first seek his wisdom. The lyrics of this song, the first part of this song are kind of like a taunt to all the nations. David's telling Asaph, okay, go get the ark and Bring it back in this huge parade with God sitting on His throne up on your shoulders. And go on this long parade. Take your time. Take the scenic route. Stop into all the villages and pick up more people on the way. Singing and praising and telling all the watching world. All your gods are worthless. All your wisdom is foolishness. All your strength is pathetic. Our God reigns. That's what heralds do. We, we provide a warning to the rebels to repent and we, we announce victory for the faithful. The king is coming, coming on his victory tour and he's coming through your town. Get ready. And at the end of verse 6, he says, if you've got a problem with that, you could take it up with him in his temple. That's where he'll be reigning over all the earth. Which leads us to the second half of the song. Verses 7 to 13 where we follow Him into His presence and become witnesses in His courts. Inspired by His glory to call the nations in. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. 
Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. The purpose of going throughout the nations heralding God's supremacy is to go call everyone to come and join Him in His temple. Come up the mountain. See for yourself how amazing He is. And when you arrive, fall down on your face in awe of His beauty. Surrender it joyfully all to Him. The beginning of this half of the song parallels the first half. There's three repeated words just like at the beginning. A scribe in Hebrew means to carry something, to bring something to someone else. So verse 8 says, bring an offering to him. The problem is, none of us have anything of value, anything worthy of his holy splendor to bring into his courts. So verse 9 explains that when you arrive and you see that he reigns powerfully on his throne, you get down on your face and pledge allegiance to him alone. The word worship doesn't mean what we often think it means. Singing and and clapping our hands and putting our hands in the air. Literally, the word means to get down on the ground and kiss the ground. Make yourself as low as possible before someone of such power and might. God reigns over all the earth from His temple. And the proper response to that reality should be Fear and trembling, says verse 9, because we're in trouble. The rest of the song proclaims what God does from His throne. He is going to judge all the nations. It's His world. It's His creation. And creation singing to Him. And yet, the world is full of people who refuse to gather and delight in His splendor and majesty. The frogs croak to His glory. The tides of the ocean come in, singing His praises. The moon goes on its circuit, declaring the majesty of God. And we refuse to step in and acknowledge how amazing He is. All of creation groans for this moment. Romans chapter 8 says creation is groaning, waiting for humanity to lead the way into His presence so creation can be redeemed too. Israel reigning in Jerusalem was just a picture of the whole world being filled with God's majestic presence, with a righteous King on the throne forever. One day, all things will be made new by that King. One day, a king will come who will draw all the nations to himself through his perfect rule, through a sacrifice of his own life, and a victory march far more exciting than the one up Mount Zion. This procession began in the life of Jesus. In his life, he wandered all over the land of Israel, Proclaiming His power, His authority, His rule over sickness, over oppression, over the spiritual realm, over creation. Claiming, I am King here. And He gathered to Himself people as He went along the way. 
to say, come with me, come into my presence and rejoice in my glory in my throne room. And so in Luke 19, we see it getting close to that triumphal moment. He leads a procession into the capital city of Jerusalem. His followers crying out in victory, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The son of David has come to save us. Here he is. He's going to protect us from our enemies as he sits on his throne and judges the nations. They follow Jesus into Jerusalem. And Jesus, being the promised son of David, the king, he's going to go right to his throne. But he doesn't go to the, temp- or the, the palace. He goes to the temple. He walks right to the temple and says, this is my father's house. This is my place. That's my throne. It's been my throne all along. So he's leading his people into his courts to praise him, but there's a problem. They can't go in. They're sinners. The Pharisees and Sadducees are guarding the gate, and they're indignant because they think Jesus, too, is a sinner. So they rebuke him. Stop your followers from calling you the King and the Savior. He refuses. Remembering Psalm 96 and other triumphant victory marches, says, I tell you, if they are silent, these very stones will cry out. Jesus is so powerful, so glorious, so mighty, so majestic, so holy, that creation must praise Him. And if we refuse to run to His courts and praise Him, we will be judged and the rocks will cry out in our place because rocks are more obedient than we are. How can we do this? though? How can we enter if we are in sin? For the Jews in Jesus' day, they were prevented by the Pharisees and Sadducees from coming into the temple. They had turned it into what Jesus said was a den of thieves. They were preventing people from coming to find God. So Jesus said, i got a, a different way that I'm going to accomplish my purposes. I'm going to destroy this temple. And by my own sacrifice, I'm going to allow build a new temple. And anyone who trusts in me can march right in and see the glory of God. His life and death on the cross were that perfect sacrifice as the spotless lamb provided by God. All who trust in His sacrifice and wash in His cleansing water can have access to His courts. And where is this temple? This new temple He built by ascending into heaven and sending His Holy Spirit down So instead of making us all go to a place in Jerusalem, in Israel, He made it so that His royal authority is present wherever His people gather together. In His name. His throne is established. His rule is proclaimed every time the church meets together and sings to Him. Wherever believers gather to hear His word proclaimed, sing of His marvelous works, remind each other of the sacrifice of Christ, and perform our priestly duties, baptism and communion, we are that temple, the throne room of King Jesus proclaiming, He reigns over all the earth from right here in our city. This is where the throne room of heaven touches down on this earth. Incredible privilege that we have right here, brothers and sisters. God is with us, reigning. That's why it's vital for us to gather. We must strive for it. 
even in the face of many challenges. We gather together as His witnesses in His courts to be inspired to go out and be His heralds to the nations. Every time we gather, we reenact Psalm 96 coming out of our slavery, our fear, our bondage, and gazing upon His glory in His holy mountain. Every time we gather as a church, we say to the people all around us, Jesus reigns from right here over everything. We are His throne room. Christ has authority here that no president, no king has. Why is this important for us? I hope you're starting to get a feel for it. But first, I do need to emphasize again that we are not starting a political revolution. God sovereignly, providentially brought this church through 1 Peter in the midst of all of this to remind us who we are. We are sojourners. We are foreigners, exiles in this land. Meaning that for the most part, we strive to get along with everyone around us. We try to cooperate as best we can. Because we don't want anyone to think that Christ's kingdom comes into this world through political revolution. It comes through surrendered hearts. But we also cannot just simply give up gathering as though it's not a big deal. Because this is how we display our allegiance to Christ. In doing so, we communicate that the world... If, if we just stop and, and listen to the commands of the world and not consider this... We communicate that the world has authority in God's throne room. We have forgotten in America what the church is called to be. The church has become a variety of things. A social club, a do-gooder society, an arm, unfortunately, of some political party, or, as I began, an entertainment venue where you just come and hear some music and an encouraging life message. While we might be involved in those things, at our core, we are none of those things. I don't blame the city for thinking we're an entertainment venue. That's on us. We gave them that impression. And it's time for the church to remember that we are an embassy of the new creation kingdom, saved by and led into this world by our risen king. We represent another nation in this foreign land When possible, we work together with them. But there are times when they're not seeing things fully. They don't grasp the spiritual realities of what's happening. And we have to bring clarity in this darkness. By gathering, we say, hold on, hold on, you're not seeing something important. And we are here to offer you something more than your decrees can achieve. We know that in a moment... God could take this plague away from us. In a moment, God could unify all races together as one. But He's not going to do it if His people don't first seek His face in His temple and cry out to Him that His name be magnified among all the peoples. Our current struggles, our challenges, are not outside the bounds of God's authority and wisdom. It's not as though just science and politics have say in this realm and the church needs to just be quiet. 
As the embassy of the new creation kingdom, we have the responsibility to gather, hear from God, be transformed by gazing upon one another's faces. I see Christ in you. And it fills me with joy that I take out to my neighbor. We're commanded to speak into these moments, proclaiming God is sovereign in our circumstances. His wisdom speaks more confidently than any doctor, scientist, protester, politician, or guru. And when we hear these things and we see Christ, now we go into this despairing world full of revolution. And we offer to everybody, come into His temple and find something better. We have the promise All the promises of God are yes and amen. We have the promise in the resurrection that we are part of a new creation. We're going to receive new bodies that will never die. And we get to be part of a world that is full of perfect justice. And the first step in receiving that, in removing this plague, is seeking His face in His temple where Jesus sits on His throne. I may encourage you if you do need to stay home because you're sick or because you're helping someone who's sick and contagious, it's okay to stay away for a little bit. That's fine. Actually, the Old Testament gave us provision for this very thing. They were told to stay away from the temple until they were clean. Imagine that. Long before modern germ theory and virology, God gave wisdom on how to deal with infectious disease. We can think carefully about these things and strive to work with our communities and and with one another to, to be safe. But that doesn't diminish the importance of our call to gather and represent His rule. Medical science and political reform are not our only weapons in this battle. We have another weapon. The hope of the resurrection written on every single one of your faces. Let's not be people who only ask ourselves, how can we avoid spreading a disease? But also, how can we be people who are eager to spread hope? A hope that's greater than any vaccine or medical treatment. Let's lead by example, showing the world confidence that Christ has saved us. People are dying. They truly are. This isn't some hoax. People are dying. And God is going to judge them in His righteousness. Let's bring them the hope of the resurrection bought for us by the blood of Christ. We must stand in the face of death and proclaim there's a way to be freed from fear and given eternal life. And so we gather to see God's face in each other's faces and radiate His glory like Moses and we go down the mountain into this city and give them hope in the lives of our neighbors and faces and our patients, as one of you has done. I've heard one of you, as a nurse that's gone into into his job and gotten to share the gospel with 20 people in one week because he comes out inspired by the glory of God. Our faces radiating hope, joy, peace that our world desperately needs right now. Right? You walk into... A store and you clear your throat and suddenly a dozen people are looking at you like you're subhuman. Everyone in the world, everything we're doing is so dehumanizing. 
The church gets to lead the way of restoring humanity to its proper place, delighting in our majestic God, knowing that Christ has given us victory and He reigns from right here. So inspired by this vision, we wrap up with something extremely practical. Inspired by this vision of establishing God's throne in a foreign land, we are are excited to begin the process of searching for a permanent facility. Up until now, we've gathered as a temple under the authority of a school district or under the authority of a local business. And those aren't bad things, wrong things, but we want to communicate that God's rule is here to stay. We want to give stability to these talking children and the generations that they will lead us into that the gospel is going to a place where we can't. The future. And so we want to claim in this city sovereign soil for the new creation kingdom. Please be praying for this process. And we're going to reach out to some of you and try to seek your feedback and, and, and talk strategically about opportunities, needs, and approaches It might not happen for a while, but now is the time to stake our claim on this foreign soil for God's new creation kingdom. We know that the building is not the church. That's not what matters. The people are, but we want our people to have a land that is not threatened by the changing decrees of rising and falling rulers. If we want to have a consistent voice in this city on how to address racism, if we want to show where to find safety from harm, if we want to bring steady peace to our neighbors, our patients, our priority must be to establish the constant presence of Christ as the King who rules over all creation from right here in His temple. Here we stand. God, help us. Let's pray. God, I love the cries of little children, desperate for a heavenly father to help them and to transform them. We are little children coming before you, Father, saying, save us, rescue us, and lead us home. And you have work to do. You want those little children to be raised up to love Jesus and lead future generations into his courts. Would you make us faithful to do that as well? It's a scary world. We might get sick. We might get hurt. Someone we love might get hurt. But we got to do what you've called us to do. Help us see with clarity and proclaim with boldness that Jesus is risen from the dead and he reigns right here in our city. Amen.